Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Um, I'm excited about our message tonight. We are continuing the series in Romans, and we are continuing the series called Foundations. Uh, last week, I, we're doing a little two-part series to kick off, uh, or I'm kind of in the, in the middle of this larger series called Foundations for Freedom. And uh, last week, we learned something out of Romans chapter 6 that sin is not my Because I am dead to sin, but alive to God. Hey, you listened. All right. Well done. Well done. You guys are awesome. Um, and tonight we're going to be picking up on that, and we're going to actually be moving to a chapter that is probably, well, I, this isn't me saying this, this is what some theologians and some pastors say, that we, that we may be entering the greatest chapter of the entire Bible. We're actually going to spend three weeks in the greatest chapter of, of the Bible. Well, if, if you think of that, I, I, that's not me, that's just what they say. It starts with no condemnation, it ends with no separation, in between it, looks, it shows that, uh, that Jesus is with us and gives victory in the middle. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to stand. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, we have some people ready to give you a Bible. Uh, so if you need a Bible, just raise your hand quickly, and we got some people that are ready. And we're going to stand and read the scriptures together, so uh, just raise your hand, no shame. And here's the thing, I want you to keep that Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you need a Bible. And if you do have a Bible, but your Bible's at home, I'd encourage you to bring it every week with you, because we will use it. So let's stand together, and we have somebody special going to read the text tonight. Will you give a great big warm welcome to Miss Michaela Bibby? Right. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 8th chapter. And she's going to read verses 1 through 13 to us tonight. Oh, you need a mic. Can I get one of those mics? Thank you. Yes. Sorry about that, Michaela. All right. This is handheld one. Handheld one. There you go. All right, Michaela. It. John's got you now, I think. Hi. There we go. All right. God's word for us tonight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Michaela. You may have a seat. The word of the Lord. When I was dating Amy a few years ago, whoop, whoop. it was summer between my junior and senior year, and I was an intern with my, an accounting firm in St. Louis. And she was up with her family in Michigan, and I said, I'm going to fly up and see my girlfriend. So I flew up for the weekend to see Amy up in Michigan, and there's a lake there that her family would go on, and her dad had an old boat, and I want to say emphasis on old. I am not sure how old this boat was, but I would bet, if I'm a betting man, it was built in the 70s. And so they took this boat out to go skiing, and one Sunday afternoon, this Sunday afternoon, I was flying back later that Sunday, we were out on the water, and her grandparents were there, her parents were there, I think her brother and and, uh, his wife were there, and then we were there, and we all load up into this old boat, right? So it is a packed boat. And as we load in, we go out to the water, and they're like, who wants to ski first? Well, I'm like, I grew up skiing. I'm a fairly decent skier, so I raised my hand. I'll go first. So they stop the boat, and they throw, you know, get the rope. They're looking for the ski. They get the skis out. And I said, I'll just take one. <laughs> I mean, I want them to know what manly man their daughter was dating, right? So I was like, I'll just take one ski. So they, they're, like, they're quite impressed. You only need one ski? Yes, that's all I need, one ski. So I got my one ski, and I jump into the water, and I put my one ski on. I mean, I haven't not gotten up on a ski in years. So I've got this one ski, and I give her dad the sign that I'm ready, got, the, got a hold of the, of the rope, and he pushes the throttle all the way down as you need to. Now, if you don't know anything about skiing, what you need to know is it's harder for a boat to pull somebody up on one ski than two skis because physics, you know, um, more drag, less surface area, something like that. And, and so anyways, he throttles it and I'm holding on and it is dragging me, but it is not surfacing me because there's so much weight in the boat I am dragging behind the boat and not enough power in the motor on the boat. And so I've got this one ski that's like right here in front of my face. I am just holding on for all that I'm worth. And this one ski is producing a tidal wave off the ski right into my face. But failure is not an option. How many of you guys know? Failure in this moment, failure is not an option. I'm, and so I am holding on. I'm like, sure, I am going to come up and eventually. And it never happened. I was being drugged around and I'm holding on. I'm about ready to drown. And finally, it's either I drowned or I let go. And so in my horror, in my shame, I let go. And they circle back around. They're like, and 
You know, Amy's dad's like, yeah, I guess there's too many people in the boat. We don't have enough power to, you know, and so I get back in the boat. At this point, my head hurts. I've got a headache. I'm tired from being drug around like an anchor behind the boat. And so they take me to the dock, and Amy and I get off the, the boat. We go to the cabin, because so, she's going to take me to the airport. We get to the cabin, and I lean over and said, Amy, my head hurts. I do this, and water comes out my nose like a faucet just turned on. I didn't know that was physically possible, but my sinus cavities were full of lake water because I was, I mean, I was about to die back there. I mean, I wasn't making it up, you know, I was, it was wisdom that I finally let go. It was not, yeah, so that can't happen. Your sinus cavities, I thought it was coming from my brain. I didn't know at the point, I was like, oh no. And Amy's like, oh my goodness, like she's freaking out. She's like, that's not supposed to happen. What happened? What happened is this, we ran into the laws of physics. Too much weight in the boat, too much drag behind the boat, not enough power pulling the boat, and we weren't getting anywhere. Our passage tonight tells us how God overcomes what seems to be the overwhelming physics of sin in our lives. That what seems to be unbearable and unconquerable, how, how Jesus changes the equation. And so what we're going to do, actually, um, I want to give you a little bit of an overview of chapter 7 and chapter 8 before we dive into our passage. So uh, two people I'm really indebted to for this message tonight is a seminary professor by the name of Gordon Fee, who's a world-class Pauline scholar who I had the privilege of listening to um, lectures throughout the book of Romans on, and then a guy that you may have heard of by the name of John Piper. Um, so let me, so what Gordon Fee points out is this, go ahead and go to the next slide, um, is that, that chapter 7, verse 5 and 6 actually frame all of chapter 7, all of chapter 6. I want to try to give you a little sense of how this works, and then we're going to be digging into, into chapter 8. So, um, Chapter 7, verse 5 says this, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. In other words, um, we were, there was a time when we were in the flesh and we just had the law. And the law was a good thing because it showed us where sin was. But the problem with the law is it couldn't get us up out of the muck and mire of the sin. It couldn't help us surface out of it. All it could do is show us what sin was. And when we saw it, we're like, wow, that actually looks kind of good. And what, go ahead and go to the next slide. And what, uh, what Gordon Fee points out is, Verses 7 through 25 expound on what it looks like when you live in this former way of the realm of the flesh. And this is where Paul personifies it. And he's like, yeah, what I, maybe you remember this before, like what I wanted to do, that's what I didn't do. And what I didn't want to do, that's what I would end up doing. And he's talking about what it looks like when you live in the realm of the flesh. And then verse 6 shows us the opposite, what happens when Jesus um, enters into the equation. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And so now with Jesus, there's a whole new way of following God and walking with God, and it's in the new way of the Spirit. Next slide. And Paul will expound on that in Romans chapter 8, 1 through 30. 
Does that make sense? So he's going to tell us what it looks like to live in this new way of the Spirit. And so chapter 7, verses 5 and 6 kind of set the tone and tempo for what's coming. And as Michaela just read, chapter 8 starts with a resounding boom. And it says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And and here's what we quickly learned, that there are two powerful realities of the gospel that chapter uh, chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 lay out for us. Number one, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means this, in Christ Jesus, you are no, no longer under judgment. You have been justified. You do not sit under judgment anymore. Why is that? Because of what it says in verse three, that because he sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering on our behalf to take the wrath we deserve so we could receive his righteousness. And rather than living under condemnation, now we live under blessing. And so the penalty for sin has been dealt with. There is a pardon for sin in Christ. But verse 2, go ahead, next slide. Verse 2 points out another reality is that this, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, when there was this law called sin and death that was in our lives, that we were like the person being drugged. We wanted to get out of the muck and mire of our sin, but there was no power great enough to pull us out until another law arrived on the scene. Now, um, I'm going to try to do some physics here. So, Ben, you help me out, all right? If I blow it, Ben Barnes, I figure he knows physics, but I, I don't know. Anyways, um, he's just really smart. So, uh, so, there's a law that impacts all of us every day. In fact, it kind of holds you down. It's called law of gravity, right? It, like, it gives you wrinkles eventually compresses your spine, you know, good stuff like that. Also keeps you from flying just around, you know, from, you know, going places you may not want. Okay, anyways, so there's the law of gravity, and I want you to imagine that the law of sin and death is like equivalent to the law of gravity, okay? So it's kind of grinding you down, pressing you down, ultimately gravity is going to win, but here's what we know, that there is another law that is a law from aerodynamics, right? That if you tap into this law, it can actually supersede the law of gravity. It's called the law of lift, right? Anybody ever flown in a plane? How did you fly in the plane? Because there's a law of aerodynamics called the law of lift. And don't ask me too much about it because I'm out, way outside my territory. I'm a pastor, not a scientist, okay? But, but this, the law of lift helps you overcome the law of gravity so that you can fly. Okay, imagine this, that the law of the spirit of life is like the law of lift that pulls you out or it's what surfaces you out of the muck and mire of your sin so you can come out of it and walk in victory over it. Are you guys following me with this? Does this make sense? That there's a new law that's greater that trumps the law of sin and death. And what is that? It is the law of the spirit. The spirit of God in your life can pull you out of the law of sin and death. Here's what this means. 
that the key to defeating sin in your life and my life is the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's not your willpower. It's not you just trying harder. It's the power of the Spirit in your life. And here's what this means. It means that your faith, your walking with Jesus is fundamentally supernatural. That the only way that you can defeat the power of sin, I mean, we read what happens when we try to do it without the Spirit. It doesn't work. But with the Spirit, there's a new possibility that can pull you out of the law of sin and death. And so that means that your faith is fundamentally supernatural. Okay, Um, when I meet with guys, at some point, I typically ask them this question. What does it mean to be a Christian? And I want to find out what their definition of a Christian is. And I'll just kind of sit back and they're kind of, you know, I don't like to say, by the way, when we get together today, I want to ask you what it means to be. So I'm just kind of, you know, ad hoc, extemporaneously say, what does it mean to be a Christian? And here's what they normally say. Well, what would, think about what you would say. They normally say, someone who trusts Jesus and follows Jesus. And I say, that's a really good answer. But it's incomplete. It's incomplete. Because why, now, some of them have gotten it right. Very few, but some what is the right answer? Well, here's the, here's the problem with that answer. It's, it's good, it's just not complete, right? They trust in Jesus and they follow Jesus because they left the power of, of the faith out of the equation. So a good definition of a Christian is this, someone who trusts in Jesus and follows Jesus in the power of the Spirit, okay? It's, in other words, we have to have the power for the Christian life, not just something that we do, okay? So in these first two verses, we get the pardon of sin, which speaks of the sufficiency of Jesus. Then we get the power over sin, which speaks of the sufficiency of the Spirit. And now, in verses 5 through 8, we come to a moment that is a key in living in freedom. And it's what I call the mindset of freedom. So let's just look at these verses. The mindset of freedom. Paul says this, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds, what does it say? Set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Those who live according to their flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. I I took verses 5 through 10 and put them in a little chart. Here's a a little chart. Um, Minds are, people who are in the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. It's governed by hostility and rebellion, and the results are death, and they don't please God. In fact, it says they can't even, they can't do it. That's what Michaela read, right? They just can't do it, fundamentally. But those who are in the Spirit, who live according to the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit's desires are, and they're governed by life and peace, which leads to freedom and life. And here's the point. If you were to reverse engineer those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit, what you'd find is, is that the inflection point is where they set their mind. Where do they set their mind? Do they set their mind on the things that the Spirit desires, or do they set their minds on the thing the flesh desires. Um, In the 1800s, 
there was a pastor by the name of Thomas Chalmers who wrote a very famous message, and it was long. You think I'm long? I mean, it'll take you a while. You're like, this was a sermon? It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. You can Google it, you can look it up, and you will read for a long time, okay? Let me give you a paragraph overview of what The Expulsive Power of a New Affection entailed. His point was fundamentally this, that the human heart will give its affection to something. And that the way to get out of sin isn't to focus on not giving your heart to the issue of sin. Okay, whatever the issue of sin would be, isn't to focus on, okay, don't be greedy, don't be greedy, don't be greedy, Pete, don't be greedy. You know, it, that isn't how you do it, right? He, he said, the way you, that, that you get rid of sin isn't by not get, uh, trying not to give your heart to something, it's by giving your heart to something else that is greater, that has an expulsive power of a new affection that causes your affection for the old thing to fade away. Are you guys following me with this? Because he says, the human heart is not a vacuum. And so it will not stay empty. So it's not about trying to get rid of something as much as filling it with something greater, the expulsive power of new affection. To illustrate this, let me tell you a story. Um, story of our dog named Buddy. There, that's our dog. Doesn't he look cute? Um, he's, a, he's a handful. Um, but that's a... So when we come home tonight, when Amy and I come home, here's what's going to happen. Buddy's going to meet us at the door and he's going to which is nice, right? And, and he will do that on my leg like just until I like pull his ears back for about two seconds. I don't know why it releases tension or something. I'm not sure, but I just, I'll just kind of, and, and then he'll be fine. Okay. But, Buddy can be a bad dog. Because at times when we come home, he's, he acts like he's there to greet us, but he's not. He's there to escape in fact, if you were to watch Amy to go in, in the house tonight, here's what you'll see. She'll open the door and she'll be like, <laughs> because there's been too many. Am I right, Amy? That's exactly what she, it's really graceful. And yeah, anyways. But here's the reason. Because there have been too many times that Buddy darts out that door faster than you can. I mean, you're like, whoa. There he, and that dog looks small, but there ain't a person in here who can chase that dog. I can catch that dog. There's not. I, okay. So what, what does Buddy do? Buddy goes over to Little Bet's house next door. That's the dog next door, right? Because he likes Little Bet. And so he actually went into their screened-in porch last time, opened the door, and he was like there. And they were like, uh, your dog's over here. Anyways, okay, well, feed him or something. Anyways, no. Anyways. Uh. And then he wants to sniff around for all the nice smells out there. And then there's some yards he wants to run around in. So what do we do? Let me tell you what we do. We do two things. We get treats. All right? And not only do we get treats, we have another way to get him. We open the door of the van. And if Buddy sees the door of the van open and we have treats, he suddenly forgets about Little Abet. He suddenly forgets about all the other smells. He suddenly forgets about all the yards that he wants to run in. And he will dart towards the van, jump in the van. We got him, right? That's what you call the expulsive power of a new affection. His affection for the going on a van ride with a treat is greater than his desire to go to little Bet's house and smell all the smells. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And run around the yards. 
the expulsive power of a new affection. What, well, the point is, is this. The way we overcome the desires of the flesh isn't by saying, don't walk in the desires of the flesh. Don't walk in the desires of the flesh. No, we set our mind on the things of the spirit and have the things of the spirit capture our hearts. And as a result, the things of the flesh grow strangely dim. So here's the question. What does that look like practically? It looks like setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, which where do we find the things of the Spirit? In the Scripture, in God's Word. And so this is why it is absolutely crucial, if you're going to live free from sin, that you need to steadily be in God's Word. Why? So you can check a mark on on a box that you did it? No, 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 no. Here's the reason why. Because if you're like me, that if you go a while without setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, your mind will start to drift towards the things of the flesh. And not only that, the affections of your heart will start to drift towards the things of the flesh. But when you're in God's Word, and when you're reading about the goodness of Jesus and the glory of Jesus, that your mind starts to be set up on the things of the Spirit, and your heart starts to realign with the things of the Spirit, and the things of the flesh start to move to the side. I have been walking with people who've been stuck in sin for over 20 years. And I can tell you, almost without fail, there's a direct correlation to them setting their mind on the things of the Spirit and their victory over sin. Oh, there's a thousand, of, a thousand ways for you to set your mind on the things of the flesh. The world's full of it. And you know what happens? If you set your mind on the things of the flesh, it's predictable. It's what it says in 2 Peter 2.22, that like a dog returning to their vomit, we return to our sin. Or like a pig running back towards the mud, we return to our sin. But when we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, then... we're set on what the Spirit desires, and we're governed by life and peace, and then life and freedom will result. Are you guys following me? One of the greatest decisions you'll make is this. Where will you set your mind? If you set your mind on the things of the flesh, I can tell you what's going to happen. But if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, that will be the inflection point towards freedom in your life. Okay. Finally, let's look at verse 12 and 13. It says this. So we looked at the power of freedom, and then we looked at the mindset of freedom, now the posture of freedom. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So Paul's saying this. Oh, you have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh. What did your pride and your rebellion and your selfishness, what did your old nature do for you? Nothing. You don't owe it anything. But you have an obligation to the Spirit. If by the Spirit, in other words, you can't do this on your own, but if by the Spirit's power you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In other words, I can guarantee you if you walk in the Spirit, life flows. 
life flows. Um, Paul tells us to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Let me give you two words that I think sum up how to do this. Number one is vigilant, and number two is vigorous. Vigilant and vigorous. See, here's the problem. So often, we're not ready to vigorously attack sin in our lives. We want to coddle sin. We want to be passive with our sin. Frankly, we don't want to pay the cost of what it will take to vigorously attack sin. We don't want the inconvenience that it will bring into our lives. But if we're going to conquer sin, we're going to have to be vigorous towards our sin. Vigilant. What does it mean to be vigilant? Okay, if somebody's at war, and this is like a war image, if somebody's at war, they are vigilant to their surroundings. They are vigilant to what um, attack could come their way. They are anticipating it. In fact, I was thinking of a wrestler. When, it, a, when a wrestler is wrestling, they are in a stance and a posture of vigilance. If, if the, their opponent comes towards them, not only do they know what's happening as it comes towards them, but they know their counter move of how they're going to respond when that other opponent comes towards Are you guys following me? They're vigilant to what's going on. You know, in, in Luke's gospel, it says that, Go ahead and put it, put it up there in chapter 4. It says that this is after Satan um, was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. It says this, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until another opportune time. What does that tell you? I'll tell you what it tells me. Satan knows your opportune times. The powers of darkness know the opportune times of when you are weak, and he knows when to come your way. Um, If he knows the opportune times, then uh, we should probably know our opportune times, right? (laughs) That would probably be a good idea. Um, Let let me give you an example. Uh, I have walked with many guys who struggled with lust. And for many of them, One of their opportune times is when they were alone and lonely. All of a sudden, temptation would come. And what do they really want? What they really want is connection with another human. But what they log on to get is pseudo-connection that won't satisfy. So what I often say is, when that is what your deep desire is, and that's an opportune time, how are you going to counteract? How are you going to respond in that moment? Here's what you're going to do. You're going to run towards community in that moment. You're going to run out of isolation. You're going to run into somebody's living room, right? And if you don't have a living room to run into, you're going to run into the hub. And if you don't have a, you know, if you can't get to the hub, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick up your phone and you're going to call somebody until you connect with somebody because you need human connection. And that's part of the the temptation you're facing. Here's what you don't do. You don't text somebody. You'd be surprised. That's not how you reach out to somebody. You don't text somebody. You don't text somebody when the house is on fire. You guys follow me. You call somebody. 
And then you call somebody else, and then you call somebody else till somebody can talk. Because you know your opportune times, and you know how to counter-respond because you know what's going. Are you guys following me? That's what vigilance looks like. Let me tell you a couple stories, and then we're going to end, of what it looks like when vigilance and vigorousness comes in attacking sin. I had a friend who um, dealt with lust issues, and one night, temptation got really strong for him, and he went onto his bed and cried out to God for the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that temptation. I mean, he was vigorous and vigilant in his prayer. You know what he did? He went to the bathroom and he washed his face. Then he went back to his bedroom. He's like, no, no. You know what he did after that? He went back to the bathroom and he washed his face again. (laughs) It was a showdown. Because he was going to be vigilant and vigorous to not to attack sin and to not give in. And can I tell you what? Today he is free. Because he's like, I'm not, I'm going to attack it. How? In the power of the Spirit, not his own power. I was walking with one guy who he came from a non-Christian home, but he knew his cell phone was the problem. And he was done coddling sin in his life. And so he had to go to his non-Christian dad and tell his non-Christian dad that he wanted a dumb phone and he was, didn't want his iPhone anymore. Have that conversation. Does that sound radical? Does that sound extreme? Yeah! Because he was done with it. He was ready to be vigorous and vigilant. I mean, I know some of you guys can give your phone to some, somebody and they can put a code in and turn it into a brick. You know what I'm saying? Like, they can just, like, it can do nothing now. But maybe that's what, the point is, is like, some point. We're just going to be vigilant and vigorous to get rid of what we have to get rid of in the power of the Spirit. I know another guy who's actually a family member of mine who had a problem with cursing. And in, at his job, um, cursing happened all the time. But he was like, I'm done with it. I'm going to be vigilant and vigorous with this. So you know what he did? He, said, he made a commitment. Every time I curse, I'm going to apologize to my coworkers. Now, when you're around a bunch of people where the, that's normal for everybody to be cursing, it's kind of embarrassing to, oh, I'm sorry. No, not seriously, dude. It's no problem. Why do you keep apologizing? No, I, just, I just have to. I'm sorry. And he, would, he did it until he stopped cursing because he was done with it. He was going to be vigilant and vigorous with his sin until it was uprooted because it was war. We must be vigilant and vigorous with our pride. We must be vigilant and vigorously attack our self-centeredness. We must be vigilant and vigorously attack our lust. We must be vigilant and vigorously attack our critical spirit. We must be vigilant and vigorously attack our sharp tongues. We must be vigilant and vigorously attack our greed and our envy. John Owen, a famous Puritan, said this, either be killing sin or sin will be killing Are you ready to be vigilant and vigorous with your sin? 
I have lots of hope tonight. I may have mentioned this last time. Because I've seen so many people in the power of the Spirit break free of sin. I remember one guy called me up and he said, Pete, I feel like I've been beaten to a bloody pulp. I said, dude, that's maybe how you feel. But you have the power of the Holy Spirit. I know this, there's no temptation you'll face that's greater than the power of the Spirit in your life. And I saw him get vigilant and vigorously attack his sin and get free. So I don't know. Maybe you feel like you've been beaten to a bloody pulp. But I'm here to tell you, sin is not your master. You're dead to sin but alive to God, and that the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And if you will just set your mind on the things of the spirit and live according to that and not on the things of the flesh and living according to that, that as you are vigilant and vigorous by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is hope for you to break free out of what has bound you. I had the worship team come forward as I close. I'm just going to end with some questions. They're going to be up on the screen. Here are the questions. Will you embrace the Spirit's power to set you free from the law of sin and death? Here's the good news. Wherever you're at tonight, if you're in Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not not after you make yourself good enough, not after you get your junk together, but right now. There's a pardon for your sin. But here's here's the rest of the good news. There's a power to set you free In the Holy Spirit, he can set you free. Secondly, will you set your mind on the desires of the Spirit? One of the most important decisions you're going to make is where you set your mind. I'm going to say this. There's some of you that have some apps you need to delete. That's not in my notes, but I know it. Because it causes you to set your mind on the things of the flesh, not the things of the Spirit. And if you're vigilant and vigorous, you'll delete that app. Then finally, are you ready? Are you ready to be vigilant and vigorous of your attack of sin? Because I know this, that the law of the spirit of life that is within you is greater than the law of sin and death. So let's put to death the misdeeds of the body. Why? For God's glory in and through your life and for your good. For your good. Will you stand? good news there's a pardon for sin if you're in Christ that's your pardon today no matter no matter where you're at that's glory the double glory is this there's a power over sin that is available through the life of the spirit Lord as we 
respond tonight. I pray that your spirit would do a good work. That we would answer affirmatively to these questions for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name. Yes, Lord, send your spirit tonight. Lord, that we would walk in the power of the spirit, that we'd live according to the spirit, live in the realm of the spirit. That we'd set our minds on the things of the spirit, have a mind governed by the spirit of life and peace the fruit of that in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a Holy Spirit alarm clock to remind us to be, to vigorously attack our sin and to be vigilant that we would know our opportune times and how to respond. Lord, I pray that we would walk in the power of the Spirit and in the freedom of the good news that the gospel brings to our lives. In Jesus' name, for the benediction tonight, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's have a great week following Jesus. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.